Well, today is New Year's Eve, right? December 31st, 2024. That means another year is behind us, and that means another year is ahead of us. And oftentimes, right, New Year's Eve is a good time to reflect upon what happened in the, your life this past year, and um, many people right, resolve to do things differently. New Year's resolutions is a thing. Uh, people write down their New Year's resolutions. Many of those are broken, um, you know, but at least people are writing them down. At least they're, they're thinking about that. And so this morning, in the spirit of the New Year, I want to preach a, a topical message for you this morning, simply to challenge you to think about your life and evaluate it and think about what's going to change in the next year, what, what, what you need to change, what you don't need to change. And um, for a text to start with, I want to turn us back into the book of Revelation. We've been working through the book of Revelation um, since, uh, I'm thinking about, I, I can't even remember when, probably early, maybe after Easter sometime, maybe in February, I don't even know, but we, we've been in the book of Revelation, and we're going to go through the book of Revelation. We paused here for Christmas, but we will get, get back to it. But I want to return to that book, uh, just as a, a launching point for my message, just because it has a, a good message for us for the new year. And of course, we see um, our, uh, um, our, our title slide, our teaching slide, right? Come, Lord Jesus. We've been pounding that message. Maybe I haven't pounded it enough, but that is the message of the book of Revelation, right? The book of Revelation is all about the return of Christ. And I want to push in you a longing for that day where Christ would come. Because that's what the book is about, the coming of Christ. In chapter 1, we saw his appearance. In chapters 2 and 3, he's speaking to people about his coming and about how you need to reform and repent or be ready for his coming. And then chapters 4 through 18, we see all these signs of the, of the future events of what's going to unfold as he comes. And then in chapters 19 through 22, we see the return of Christ, the establishing of his kingdom, and then glory forevermore. And the theme of Revelation is the final prayer in the book. If you want to, you can open your Bible to Revelation, the very last book, very last chapter, and um, it says in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. And then John adds, amen, come Lord Jesus. It's what revelation ought to stir us to pray. And, and through all the wrongs, There'll be a day when Jesus comes and makes it all right. And the book of Revelation really is a call for us to to yearn for and to long for the day when Jesus comes again. You've seen this slide up here for the better part of a year, and I just ask you, is this your prayer? Have you been praying this prayer? Is this the heartbeat of what you long? You long for Jesus to come well, if you're anything like me, the distractions of the world and the joys of the world are great. I mean, I think about Christmas, and, and Christmas at our house was great. We had all of our children at home. We had their spouses. <laughs> Caleb was there. We had all of our, our grandchildren. We were all there. We even had a boyfriend there. <laughs> and... Um, had a, had a wonderful time. I couldn't ask for anything more. 
And certainly there, there are difficulties in life. Uh, 2023 wasn't just all, all roses. Everything was, wasn't, wasn't great. There are, are difficulties as well, to be sure. But one of the, 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 the thing is also their joys in life, which exceeded the difficulties this past year. And when things are good, it's often difficult for us to long to Jesus, to, for Jesus to come and take everything that we have that we enjoy away. It's difficult to remember the point of revelation, come Lord Jesus. I just want you to think, though, about others. I remember John Piper calling, we live in America, we live in Disneyland. I want you to think right now about Christians in Ukraine. Their land has been invaded. Their people have been assaulted. Relatives have been killed. Life has been upended. I think they could pray this prayer a little bit better than us because much of their life has been ruined these past couple years as Russia has invaded them. I think of the few Christians who live in the Gaza Strip. There aren't, aren't many, sub 1%, but there are a few. I think they can easily pray the prayer, Come Lord Jesus, if they have been displaced from their homes. Many family members have been killed in the bombings right now, living in unsanitary conditions, feverish and sick. I can imagine them just saying, Come Lord Jesus, just end this thing. Likewise, right, those to whom the book of Revelation was written could easily pray this prayer, Come Lord Jesus, because their circumstances in life were very difficult. John was a, a political prisoner when he wrote these words. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, a prison island, uh, not too much unlike our Alcatraz. And, and the people to whom he was writing were facing hard times. They were hated by the Jews. They were persecuted by the Romans. Consider this. All the disciples of Jesus, church tradition tells us, they all were martyred. They all were killed for their faith. John was the only one who was left. John probably wrote this around 90 A.D. or so. He'd seen all of his friends, he'd walked with Jesus, killed for the sake of Christ. And, and Christians in the days of John were, were struggling, going through difficulty and hardship. Nero, the Roman emperor, from 54 to 68 A.D. So you think about that, John, this is about 20 years after Nero he burned Rome in A.D. 64 and blamed it on the Christians. He arrested many of them, falsely accusing them. Tacitus, the historian, wrote about Nero's cruelty towards the Christians. Tacitus lived just a shortly thereafter. He said this, Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure you caught that, right? It's, it's daylight's expiring, it's getting dark, they need some light. So they take, the pitch, they take Christians and they cover them with pitch and they put them up on a pole and they light them a fire so they might have street lights for the burning flesh of Christians. And persecution of Christians went on for more than 200 years. And when you're facing persecutions like that, longing for the return of Jesus is an easy thing, don't you think? See, it's those who are persecuted who, who long for the return and can say this prayer, come Lord Jesus. It's us who have it easy who might struggle with this prayer. They pray like, come Lord Jesus, come and deal with this injustice. 
God, you've said vengeance is mine, I will repay. So God, come and repay all the injustice done to me. And I, I believe this. When it comes to interpreting the book of Revelation, you've got to remember this context. John was writing to a persecuted people facing intense persecution. That's why we in America, we often get it wrong. We're all concerned about the timing and when it's going to happen. They were just interested in survival, the fact that it was going to happen. That's why John writes, the very first chapter of the book, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. See, John knew the hardship that his readers were facing because he was facing it too. He said, I'm your brother in tribulation that we're facing right now. Oftentimes, right, we in America think about, oh, tribulation, that's just sometime in the future. Not for John. He was going through tribulation right then and there. And Christians for years, hundreds of years, right, after, after Christ. There's a Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., that really resolved things and turned Rome from a, a Roman Empire to a Holy Roman Empire, basically legalizing Christianity. The Edict of Toleration came out in 313 A.D. that kind of stopped the, um, the toleration, a little bit like Abraham Lincoln, the Emancipation Proclamation, right? He, right? Slaves are free. Now, they weren't really free, right? Christians no longer be persecuted. Well, they still were persecuted, but there was at least a, a governmental push that way. And then after that, the church then faced some ease. And I don't think it's an accident that after that ease, they went into the dark ages. Because when you're at ease, oftentimes the heart grows cold. That's why John, in this tribulation said, come, Lord Jesus. But with his heart comes also the main application of the book of Revelation. You even see it there. It says, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and here it is, the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. He he said, yeah, Christ Jesus is comforting me. He is helping me to endure and to press on. And I say the heart of Revelation is wrapped up in the final prayer, come Lord Jesus. But the main application of the verse, of, of, of the book of Revelation, is that we mean to remain faithful to Christ. Hang on. It's worth it. Endure. Keep going. You might say it, overcome. And that's the main idea, is this, right? When, when Christ comes, we need to be found faithful. And so the application is most clearly seen. In Revelation chapter 13, you can turn over there at Revelation 13 and verse 10, which simply says this, the second half of the verse. It says, here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. This is the great application of the book of Revelation. Certainly we need to pray the heart is come Lord Jesus. The application is to endure, endure in your faith. Keep your faith until the end. That's what John was calling those in um, in the Roman Empire, right? He's calling them to, to press on and persevere until the end. And this morning, I want to call you to endurance. I'm calling you this morning to keep the faith. And my message this morning isn't going to be a specific exposition of a, of a single passage. We'll return to that next week when we look at Revelation 16. This is sort of a, a reminder, if you will, a recap of Revelation so we get to 16 of the bold judgments. This morning, this New Year's Eve morning, I, I want to bring us back to the book of Revelation by, by emphasizing this basic major application of the book of Revelation is, is that of enduring. So my message is entitled this morning, A Call for Endurance. I'm calling you to endure in, in your faith. 
it's appropriate here that this call for the endurance of the saints comes in the context of the beast rising up. The beast rising up from the sea. And if you remember this beast, ten horns and seven heads and nasty and gnarly and going after the Christians, going after the world. If you look at verse 6, this verse 5, and the beast was giving a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blasphemy his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So here's, here's the idea, right? The, the beast is making war upon everybody. But the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abednegoes are saying, I will not bow down to the beast. And they're being threatened with death as a result. See, these are the ones who God predestined were found from in the book of life before the foundation of the world. These are the ones that God is going to persevere through that. These are the ones who are believing and trusting in this lamb who was slain. These are the ones that are being kept. And then verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here's, here's the passion. is He's going he's gonna, like, to, I'm going to go that way, and I'm going to trust. I'm going to be faithful. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, so that you'll be faithful unto martyrdom is what this verse is about. Endure unto martyrdom. Chapter 12, verse 11, says the same sort of thing when Satan was cast down to the earth. We see that the Christians, the believers, the followers of the Lamb, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And that's the idea here is that these people are not loving their lives, even unto death, being ready and willing not to bow to the beast, but to face the death that comes after that. The same application comes in chapter 14. You can turn over there. Chapter 14 and verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Just the first half of that verse. And this comes right after the the beast and the, the mark. Look at verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed after them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine press from the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of a lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So this is coming in context of there's the beast. He's marking people, and that just simply means they're bowing down and worshiping him. And the call here in verse 12 is for endurance, not towards the beast. Don't worship the beast, but endure, right? And, and, and then in the second half of the verse, that it is defined what it, what it means to endure. Here's the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. The, the endurance comes through obedience, through trusting in the Lord, Obedience comes to the commandments of God, faith in the work of Christ. And it's really a great application for us this new year. So we think about this next year, as we think about 2024, what are your priorities? 
Is there a submission to God's commandments? You say, I'm going to be one who obeys God. I'm going to endure. Is there there a faith and trust in Jesus? I'm going to trust in Him. Maybe there's some things that need to change in your life. You look back 2023, just say, I I need to change that. Maybe some things need to stay the same. Maybe you're doing well. Plot along. Maybe there's some things that need increasing in your life. Maybe there's some things that need decreasing. But the big application, right, for your faith is this. Endure in 2024. Endure in your faith. Theological term for this is perseverance. Persevere in your faith in 2024. That's my big application. That's my one big point. Perseverance. A call to endurance. A call to perseverance. A call to conquering and this application is not unique to Revelation, right? You read through the New Testament time and time again, you see the same thing. It's said in different ways, in different words, but it's all the same, right? Endure in your faith. It's often, it's interesting as I surveyed some of Paul's letters, often the final exhortation he gives, maybe not exactly the final one, but a final thrust in all of his letters is that he calls to endure. Just consider this. At the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul didn't say endure, instead he says stand firm, Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, right? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That comes in verse 12, I think. And then verse 13 says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Paul's writing those in Ephesus. He says, you've got to stand. You've got you to fight. And how do you, how do you stand? You, you put on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, right? the, um, the helmet of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. You put on all of these things, right? So you can stand firm because the call of the Scriptures is for us to stand firm. And that's what I'm calling you to in 2024 is to stand firm for the gospel. Uh, the same application Uh, comes in uh, Philippians at the end. Therefore, it's a conclusion of what he's saying. Philippians 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Stand firm. Hold fast. At the end of 1 Corinthians, again, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, be immovable, right? There it is right there. That's, that's standing firm, that is enduring, that is pressing on. It's pressing into Jesus. Don't move in your faith. It won't be in vain, right? Jesus is returning. It won't be in vain. Believe me, it won't be in vain. Peter said it this way in his second epistle. It's like the very last two verses And he says it in a slightly different way, but it all gets back to the same thing. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't don't be sucked away. Don't go in the error way, right? Endure, right? Endure the sound faith with Jesus. Don't get sucked away into their error. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Don't be carried away by error. Don't lose your stability in Jesus. Rather, endure. Here's my my call for endurance. And we live in a society today where many are 
being carried away and losing their stability in Jesus. We live in a day and an age where there are many who are not standing firm. We live in a day and an age when many are deconstructing their faith. Maybe that's a term you've heard or maybe you haven't heard it. It is, a, it is a, just a modern term of falling away. Deconstruction. It, it describes those who, who walk through the process of thinking through their faith. And it's a, they, they think through it. right? They, they think about, do I really believe that or not? I don't believe that. And so they're, they're not building up their faith. They're deconstructing it. They're, they're, they're taking it down. Which they disbelieve many things they used to believe. And there are times when they do this very systematically. They say, okay, so they step back, right? I've been involved in this church life, and now maybe I go to college, right? Or maybe I've been in this church, and there's some church hurt that happens, and now I'm outside the church, and I'm thinking about, well, what is going on there? And what is going on with the Bible? And so they think about the Bible. Inspiration, really inerrant? I don't know. I don't believe that. Jesus was really God? I don't, I don't really believe that. That all of us are sinners in need of a Savior? No, I think I, I don't believe that either. That he had to die on the cross to appease God's wrath. Well, God's not angry with me anyway because God is love. I don't believe that wrath part. And they just start con- deconstructing. And sometimes it becomes really systematic and really thought through and really a scientific, if you will, right? Maybe just looking at all the doctrines, taking a systematic theology and going, nope, 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 nope. Maybe keeping some of it. Oftentimes, there's this intellectual pride that comes about because those who are deconstructed now are enlightened. They have now seen the truth of the horrors of the church and the horrors of this Christianity, and now they're free to live as they want. They once feel like they were duped by Christianity and by the Christian community, being forced into certain behaviors so they conform to the group, but now they've seen the light, and they don't need to be involved in that anymore. And they often want to give their testimony to the world often more eager than Christians are to share their testimony of Jesus. They like to share their testimony of, well, I used to believe that, but I don't believe that anymore. Now I'm free. It's the opposite of the book of Revelation is calling us to do. Rather than tearing down our faith, Revelation calls us to stand upon our faith, to continue in our faith, to endure in our faith. And it's the original context these original readers teaches us, even through difficult, difficult times. And my application this morning is simple, right? Jesus is coming back. So believe that he's coming back. Believe all that's written in the book of Revelation that it's true. Oh, you may not understand all the, the details about how it all happens, and I've tried to be totally transparent. I don't understand it either, but, but I get the point, right? Christ is coming, and when he comes, he's going to deal out retribution, as uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 says. Dealing out retribution to those who don't, do not know God have turned away. Jesus is coming. I want you to long for his coming. And, and believe that he's coming so that, like Revelation 7, you might find yourself in that great multitude. Revelation 7, verse 13, he's coming out of the great tribulation. And John doesn't know where they come from. He's asked, he says, I don't know, where is he coming from? And the angel said to him, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Trusting in Jesus, coming out of this difficult time, maybe being martyred, right? maybe being taken by God. Somehow they were there in this great tribulation, but they've washed their clothes in the, in the blood of the Lamb. They've believed and trusted in Jesus. They've trusted his sacrifice upon the cross, and they're walking in a pure way. They're enduring, if you will. And they're before the throne, 
saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be to our God forever and ever is what they're saying because they've been rescued out of the, the great tribulation. Because they've endured. They've washed their robe in the blood of the Lamb. So believe that Jesus is coming back. Embrace it entirely, not, not just academically, but, but in your heart. Come, Lord Jesus. That's the key, actually, to endurance, is to be convinced of that. Every time prophecy is mentioned in the Scriptures, it always has a, a, um, a moral intent. Christ is coming. Right? God is coming back. He's going to deal with you. So you need to repent. You read through the prophets. And over and over again, you just say, hey, he's coming back. You need to be right. You need to walk rightly with him. Sadly, in America, because it's so easy, when prophecy comes, we're just interested in when he comes and the details. But it always comes with a moral application. Always. You show me a prophecy passage, I bet I could find a moral application in there pretty soon. Repent, turn, walk rightly. And that's what he's saying. The belief that Christ is coming has a purifying effect upon our life. So consider this. John, the same, same writer, says this in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What a glorious truth. When he comes, we're going to see him. We're going to be like him. We're going to be washed, clean, pure, sanctified with him, glory forever. And then it says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope of his coming back, come Lord Jesus, will purify himself because he is pure and will want to be like Christ, to be found in him. Right. Right, because you know when he's coming back, your knowledge of the future actually changes your behavior today. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told of the faithful and wise servant? I'm not putting it up here because it's, it's too long to put up here. But just consider the faithful and wise servant. Jesus says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master had set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Who is it? Blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Right? And here, basically, his, his master leaves, he sets his servant over the household, he goes away, and the servant who's just doing what he's supposed to be doing, tending the house, doing everything he wants, when the, when the master comes back and he finds him doing that, he'll be blessed greatly. To realize my exhortation to you this morning, to be like the faithful servant is doing the Lord's will when the Father returns, when the Master returns. I'm not exhorting to you anything that's bad this morning. Because Jesus said, blessed is that servant. I'm exhorting you to receive a blessing by walking in God's ways. And that, by the way, is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is to bring blessing, not fear. It's to bring encouragement and hope, not dread or questioning or confusion. Revelation 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written, for the time is near. This book is for us. It's a blessing for us. And it's a blessing when you're enduring, there'll be a blessing that comes your way. The consequence of not enduring are death. Jesus continued, But if that wicked servant says to himself, Oh, my master is delayed! And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And we see that working out in the book of Revelation. God coming back and destroying the wicked. We will see that especially next week as we look at the wrath of God in Revelation 16. God giving the angels these bowls which are poured out the wrath of God upon people who are not believing in the Lord Jesus and who are walking in their wicked ways. So church family, endure in 2024. The consequences are eternal. Eternity is at stake. Consider how Jesus said it. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Consider that strongly, right? I'm calling you to endurance. I'm calling you to salvation because endurance is what's needed for salvation. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The corollary is also true. The one who fails to endure until the end will not be saved. I'm calling you to salvation. I'm calling you to genuine faith because genuine faith will persevere. See, you're not saved by praying a prayer in some past, living any way you want today. There are lots of people who pray this prayer and say, well, when were you saved? Oh, I prayed that prayer, right? I, I can't remember, but you know, mom says I prayed this prayer when I was eight years old. So I'm going to be in heaven because I got this thing in my wallet that says I, I prayed there. Well, I, do you love Christ? I, Christ I, well, no. <laughs> do, you, do you go to church? Do you with his people? you read his word? Well, no. But I prayed this prayer. That's my hope. It's false hope. Because those who endure until the end to be saved, it's not those who pray a prayer at one time who will be saved. You can't live for yourself today. You can't not endure and experience salvation. Salvation comes through endurance. Now, it's not your endurance doesn't earn your salvation, right? Catch this. Endurance doesn't earn your salvation. Endurance demonstrates your salvation. Consider this. The writer of the Hebrews says it like this. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our eternal original confidence firm to the end. Today, we are believers, we are trust, we are firm in Christ, we're shared if we hold fast our endurance to the end. The holding fast until the end demonstrates where we are today. It's endurance. Endurance to the end shows that we share in Christ today. Or using the terminology of Jesus, enduring to the end shows us that we have good soil. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. You can, you can turn there. I'm, this is a time I'm going outside of Revelation because I think this is, this is important, right? I just want to press upon you how important it is to endure. Because the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus tells this parable. You're familiar with it. Jake preached on it three months ago. I don't know how long, Jake. <laughs> a couple months ago. I just want to go through it quickly, right? Verse 3, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, the birds came and devoured it, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, and other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Story's really easy, right? Four types of soil. The seed goes out, some of it's upon the, the, the path, and, um, or the rocky ground, or the thorny ground, or the, the good soil. And because of the soil, right, the, the seeds don't grow, they grow accordingly. So along the path, it just stays on the top, the birds come and eat it. And, and uh, maybe upon the rocky soil, right, it's, it's got some moisture there, and it begins to germinate, but without a root, then it 
it withers away with the sun, and the seed on the thorny soil starts to grow, but the plants choke it out. The seed on the good soil, however, grows and grows and produces because the condition of the soil is good for growth. And after telling the parable, the disciples asked him about the parable, and they said, um, um, can you explain to us that parable? Verse 10, when they, he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That text is for another day. But what I want to get at is verse 13. And he said to them, I have it written down here, right? And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, if you get this one wrong, you can't understand any of the other parables. Try as you might. So let's get this parable right. And my argument in this parable is that endurance leads to salvation. Those who endure to the end will be saved. This parable is super important because it teaches about the Word of God, it teaches about how the, God, how the Word works in people, and it teaches, I think, of the end result of the different kind of soils. Verse 14. The sower sows the Word. There it is. The Word. So just think about that. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away his Word that is sown in them. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, think revelation. When persecution or tribulation comes, they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. Those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. It proves unfruitful. That those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Jesus said the seed is the word of God, and the soils are the souls of people. Right? Just one little difference. Soils are souls. And there's some who hear the word, reject it right away. It's like the seed on the path. Doesn't penetrate, cannot grow, boom. And I've experienced many of those people in my life. Nah. There are others who hear the word with joy, verse 16. But they aren't rooted and grounded. This is like the seed on the rocky soil, right? And, and you can see this in others, right, that, that everything's good, but then when a little bit of tribulation or hardship or persecution comes, they fall away. They don't endure. This is revelation. This is the original context. It's going to be the, the issue, right? When the seed's falling upon you, you're facing persecution and tribulation. Are you going to endure or are you going to fall away? Are you going to endure or are you going to fall away? And those who fell away, in Revelation, face the wrath of God. But those right, who love not even their lives to death, those are the ones with Christ in heaven. Those who endure are the ones who are there. I'm calling you to endurance to be like that, not to be like the rocky soil that falls away and will perish the judgments of Revelation. There are others who hear the word begin to grow in the thorny soil, but they're ensnared. Catch this strongly, O oh, rich Americans. By the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. How many things do we have? How many cares do we have? How much riches do we have? This is our temptation that we're thorny soil. We start to grow, but then like thorns do, right? They suck the moisture from the soil. They suck your time. 
They suck your interest. They begin to dominate the light from the sun. And there's nothing left to nourish you. And you wither and die. The seed on the thorny soil doesn't endure until the end. They are not saved. This is a parable about one soil being saved and three being lost. It's not about three being saved and one being lost. It's about one being saved. That's the good soil. They're the ones who hear the word and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. This is a good soil. It brings forth fruit to maturity. They're the saved in the parable. The, the fruit it's talking about here is the working of God's word in your life. Fruit of the Spirit. This is what God creates in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, right? When you have the Spirit of God, when Christ, when the Spirit comes in and dwells you, it produces these things in your life. And you look at it, and you say, there, it's good fruit. Good fruit is love for the saints. Jesus said, John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, right? Loving one another is a demonstration all people that, that you're one of his disciples, Obedience to God's word. 1 John 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We are enduring, right? We're loving God. This is the love of God, right? When we keep his commandments, and this is important, the next phrase, his commandments are not burdensome. We're not talking about oppressive, legalistic, oh, I don't want to do that. We're talking about God giving you a spirit of delight that wants to do that, that wants to endure. When I said call to endurance, this is the very thing that you want to do. You want to say, amen, come Lord Jesus, I am with you. When you come back, I am all in. There's a happiness and a joy to these things, not a, a drudgery. You got, the commandments that are kept need to be non-burdensome commandments, and then catch this, what John says in 1 John 4, verse 5. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. It's a key point. Overcomes the world, conquers the world, is different than the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Everyone who's born of God believes and conquers the world. He overcomes. Overcomes means to endure. It's another name. What John uses, even in Revelation, we'll see here in a little bit. Fruit is obedience to God. It's true of everyone who turns to God. Everyone's been born of God, overcomes the world. It's not choked out by the cares of the world, not without deep roots that won't stand strong in tribulation, but with the deep roots and doesn't have the thorns and rises and lives and endures. Let's come back again to verse 13 that's on the screen. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? It's so crucial to understand this parable. Especially as you minister with others, especially as you think about your own soul, especially as you speak with others of the Word of God, right? There. Is it good? So you, you share the Word, right? Someone responds and you're like, oh, great, they've responded. Let's just see. Let's just, let's just see, right? Is it going to be thorny soil? Is it going to be rocky soil? Like, are they going to grow? Are they going to produce fruit? Are they going to see the work of God in their life? Are they going to be there? Or are they going to fall away? I've seen it many times. People are excited, they fall away and disavow Christ. A few weeks ago, I spent time in the Winnebago County Jail ministering to the inmates, and this parable came up, and uh, someone made the affirmation, oh, you're good soil. And our little small table, I kind of said, maybe. I said, maybe. Did you hear the testimony of the guy earlier, the jail chaplain, who said one of the most difficult, frustrating things that he experiences is how many of the people in the jail show a heart, passion for God? Right? Because they're off their drugs and they're away from their gangs. Bad company corrupts good morals and the drugs mess with your mind, right? And then they go out and how many of them turn away? The majority. Are they good soil in jail? 
maybe. And I even told them, do you hear what the chaplain said? Probably not. But you want to be good soil? Yes, you want to be good soil. I said, wonderful, right? Pursue, right? Endure until the end. But you don't know if you're good soil until time passes to see whether the fruit comes. And so I told them, right? When you get out of the jail or prison or wherever you are, you come home and you write on the whiteboard. You, you write down the exact date that you get home, right? So to December 31st. But don't put 2023, put 2024, and in 2000, January, in December 31st, 20, 25, 24, whatever, a year from now, you look at that whiteboard, and when that day comes, you say, let me look at my life, and let me see what it's like. Am I demonstrating myself to be good soil? And we prayed. I prayed for all the men at this, the table <clears throat> that they would be good soil, because we don't know. But this, that's, we don't know, right? The seed goes out. Some will receive it. Some will be good soil. Some will be bad soil. Church family, I just say, be good soil. Press on. Know the Lord. You might say, what does it look like? Well, turn back to Revelation. Right. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 really gives us some great pictures of what it might look like in your life. I'm going to go through these really quickly. We went through these uh, uh, a church a week. This is seven churches to the church. Say it with me. He wrote to the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Sardis, Laodicea. Phil- Sardis, Laodicea, whatever. You should know those. I can say them for the same fact. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I got a tune in my mind, right? So know those. Those are seven churches. They all had different characteristics. I'm just saying, for you to endure, it might mean different than me or than others. I'm just thinking about all these churches had specific problems, and every single one of them, he speaks about the one who endures. He doesn't use the word endure. He uses the word conquers. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. To the one who conquers... That, that's, that word is um, nikao, from which we get Nike, has victory. That's the word, victory. To the one who has victory, right, who, who overcomes, who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Likewise, the one who doesn't overcome, the one who doesn't endure, the one who doesn't conquer, won't get to eat the tree of life. It's in the paradise of God. It's how important it is to conquer. If you look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. See, the one who conquers is the one who's going to be faithful unto death, is the promise in chapter 2, verse 10. Ten days you'll have tribulation, be faithful unto death, I'll give you the crown of life. But if you are faithful unto death, you will not experience a second death. That's what it means for them to overcome. For them to overcome, it means be a martyr. So I'm calling you to be a martyr. Endure whatever God calls you to. See, God's not calling all of us to be martyrs, but he called those in Smyrna to be martyrs. To overcome, to endure, it meant for them to be martyred. I mean, if you look at church in Pergamon, he says um, in verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone, a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except him who receives it. Also the church at, at Thyatira, verse 26, to the one who conquers and keeps my words until the end. You've got to conquer. You've got to keep his words until the end. The one who endures until the end to be saved. To him I'll give authority over the nations. And so on. Right? You've got to conquer. You've got to endure until the end. That's what conquering means. Keeping his words until the end. The church at Sardis. Um, verse 5. To the one who conquers, we clothe thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. 
The implication there is perhaps your name will be blotted out. Your name may not be there. But instead, he says, right, if you overcome, you conquer, I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. The church at Philadelphia, the same thing. Verse 12, to the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. See, all these blessings come to those who conquer, who overcome, who endure, who press on. The church at Laodicea, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I conquer and set down my father on his throne. You don't conquer, you don't endure, there's no throne access for you. Church family, let's be faithful. Let's endure until the end. So you think about how might you endure. Let's just think about these churches. Ephesus, what was their problem? Their love had grown cold. At one time, they were professing Jesus. They were following after him, fiery, and then they grew cold. But Jesus simply says, go back to where you were. Repent so that you're okay. It's not okay to be loved for God at one point and then to have a love that grows cold. That's not okay. He says, you need to return to your first love. That's okay. We talked about the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna was being faithful unto hard trials. They had to be faithful unto death to be saved. The church at, at Pergamum, filled with false teachers, following the way of, the, of the, all the false teachers today. Health, wealth, prosperity, pursuing, right? All these deconstructions would come out. Oh, follow our way. It's not the way of conquering way of conquering is to stay faithful to Christ. The church at Thyatira, right, sexual sin. Maybe you're involved in sexual sin. Percentages are not good for sexual sin in the church. He says, no, turn away from that. Conquer. Keep my works until the end. Church of Sardis says, hey, you got a name that you're alive? Right? If we look at the churches, right, Sardis would be a happening place with lots of activity, lots of things. You have a name that you are alive. Is what it says. Verse 2, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. He says, but you're dead. And maybe you have a Sunday morning reputation of being alive. But when it comes to the week, actually, you're pretty dead. Turn and repent. and come. Maybe that's your application today. Philadelphia, this small but faithful church, just kept my... Word, there's nothing bad said about this church. Basically says, hey, I'm small and insignificant. Maybe that's you, right? Small and insignificant, right? And I mean, I consider, we have a small church. I consider myself in the pastoral world. We're just small and insignificant. I'm, we, we watch George Bailey. We watch It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas Eve. I'm like, you know what? I'm George Bailey. I'm in Bedford Falls, just ministering among a small church, building savings and loan, right? But yeah, he was so blessed, and I am so blessed, having a small church as it is. I've not gone off and done the world and done the big church. I, I've just been faithful here. I feel like that's me. Small and insignificant. But I kept the word. And you want to keep the word. However insignificant you are, just keep his word. Maybe that's what you guys say. Hey, I'm like Philadelphia. I just need to keep on his word. I like Laodicea, lukewarm. Right? That they were actually, by the way, is that they were rich. Verse 17. This is the American church, right? They're so rich. I prospered, I need nothing. Maybe you need to realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Maybe it's some repentance. Like, I'm trusting in my riches too much. I need to come back. I just need to really trust in Christ and Christ alone. So let me just think. Maybe one of those churches stirred an application for you. Maybe there's some others. I think about our congregation. Some of you are sick. For you, maybe... Enduring until the end means clinging to the old truths you've learned and trust in Christ through the illness. 
not blaspheming him. In this life of the congregation, there's some of you who are busy, maybe so engulfed in life that time for the Lord in recent days is just, just like neglected. For you, maybe enduring means changing some priorities. I know what? I need to, I need to set Christ more first than I've been, just Jesus. Maybe that's what it means to endure for you. And there are those in the congregation who it's all's well with you and your household. Maybe enduring means to continue on, remembering the kindness of God. I mean, one of, the, one of the problems of God's blessing that comes upon our life is we forget God. You can read that in Deuteronomy 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He says, when you enter in the land, it's all is well with you. Beware lest you forget. And they forgot and faced the wrath. And maybe all of us, things are going well, and maybe we forget. Remind your children of the grace of God about what it could be, what you were. Maybe there's some of you grown cold in your faith, or once you were lively, sharing your faith, growing in your faith. It was exciting, but it's not so exciting anymore. Maybe for enduring for you means repentance and rekindling your faith. I just urge you to look deep into your soul and endure in 2024. Rekindle love for God in your soul. Maybe there's some who are old in your faith. And bored in your faith. Like, oh, I know what church is about. I just kind of go through the motions and you kind of go uh, on autopilot. Maybe this is a year for you to join one of these Bible reading groups. I think about uh, Wayne, you know, talking about for years he tried it. But transformation, just reading through the scriptures together. It's not a lot of time. 15 minutes a day does it. It's not a lot of time. It can be done. There's nothing quite like reading through the scriptures fresh. And then talking about what I learned this week, what God is teaching me this week. Not what I know from theology like five years ago when I took that class at church or I did that Sunday school, like, oh, that's what... No, you're trusting on something you learned this week. If you're old and bored, it'd be helpful to you. Maybe some of you are new in the faith. Maybe these Bible reading groups, again, be helpful to you. Right? Grasp the message of the Bible. See the stories of Abraham, Moses, and David. Be encouraged with them and be discouraged by Solomon. This wise man pursued the ways of the world. Or Judas, who ministered right with Jesus and yet forsook him. Maybe by reading the scriptures, the Lord give you reason to endure, to see the Lord being faithful to his covenants, seeing the glories of Christ in his life and death and resurrection, and how he's central to our faith, and just reading through the scriptures might refresh you again. You have four times the life of Christ you read through the scriptures this year. It's half the year. Well, those are some of my applications. I trust the Spirit of God is going to work in all of you. I'm just calling you this morning to endurance in 2024. Let's pray. Oh, God, I've poured out my heart for me and for all of us. Lord, I pray that you would expose our sin, convict us where we need to be convicted, and drive us to Jesus. God, unless we think it's all our own power, God, it is true that you're the one who holds us fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And so, God, I I put our church into your hands and trust that you will hold us fast, that you will give us the strength to endure, that we will press on, that we will conquer in whatever ways life has it for us that we need to conquer. God, I pray you'd be gracious to us, Help us individually, help us at church, God, to walk forth in your ways, glorifying Jesus in all that we do and all that we say, right? trusting and leaning on him when we fall, realizing that his, 
his sacrifice is sufficient for all of our sins, that we might wash our robes white in the blood of the Lamb, that we might join that great multitude someday. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.